The big story, Ron Hextall, general manager of the Philadelphia Flyers, now ex of that franchise. Hex, he and his time as general manager uh, has put this organization in a good spot. With with the young players that are in place right now on our farm system, uh, our prospect cupboard is, is full. There's cap space, which is always a good thing. Having said that, I just felt in the best interest of the organization, it was time to uh, look for a new voice that can, uh, with a different mindset, can, that can push push the team to the next level. Holmgren felt a change needed uh, within the bench. Uh, a new coach needed to be brought aboard. Uh, Ron Hextall had made it clear to some degree that if you're going to force me to make that change, you may as well force me out of my office. Do you know I've been thinking about, Rory, in the aftermath of Ron Hextall getting fired from Philly? What you're going to get your wife for Christmas? <sighs> oh, I'm always thinking about that. <laughs> always thinking about that. I'm thinking about how fun Philadelphia was. Mm-hmm. Now, the fun content from an outsider perspective... I think went down when Hextall was the GM and that might have an inverse relationship with to the franchise building, right? Because yep. fun goes down, stability goes up and even Paul Holmgren who fired Hextall doesn't make any bones about the fact he's left the organization in great position. But man, back when Holmgren was, was calling the shots in terms of the, the trades and free agent signings, I mean, just reading about Daniel Breer, who, you know, there was some notion that that he might be someone who could be in on the new GM search. You know, remember when Philly was the team that no matter who was out there on the free agent market, every trade, I mean, the Carter and Richards trades, those were mind-blowing when those happened within like hours of each other, as I recall, certainly within the, I would say the same day at the, I want to say 2011 draft, just after they'd gone to the final with those guys, Philly was just a team that you knew was, was making moves, Sh- signing Shea Weber to an RFA that offer sheet, man. Yeah. They were in there and, and, and they were good. So we will see what happens, but maybe Philly is about to become a fun team again. And, uh, we're going to talk about that here on the Tape to Tape podcast. That's not all we're going to talk about. We, of course, are going to talk about um, how the Edmonton Oilers are faring with their new coach, Ken Hitchcock. And also, looking at some RFA contracts coming up, William Nylander has dominated the talk, but there's a lot of guys kind of sort of in the same position as Mr. Nylander, and it'll be interesting to see what comes of them. But let's get right back to that Philly talk. What were you thinking Monday morning? I was still writing the weekend takeaways. Boom. The axe drops on Ron Hextall. Well, on Saturday night, I do the Hockey Central Saturday uh, radio show um, across Canada. And the Flyers had just lost 6 nothing to the Toronto Maple Leafs. And we were talking at the close of that show, is that the end of Dave Hextall? It has to be, right? Like, there were, there was some movement that needed to happen within this team. There were great stories out of New York with the Rangers and the Islanders in that division playing so well. And here come the Flyers with a lot of expectations coming into this season. And that was, that was a low point for them, losing so badly to the Maple Leafs. So to hear Ron Hextall getting fired on Monday was surprising to me. I didn't think he was going to be the one who was going to get that fall. And then today, their head scout gets let go. One of their assistant coaches who was running the defenseman, he gets let go, but Dave Hackstall is still in place. And what's curious even further is that when Paul Holmgren was doing his press conference and he was talking about Dave Hackstall's future, he basically said his future is in the hands of whoever this next GM is. And it's just strange to me that if you're not 
fully confident in this guy as an organization why he wouldn't also be included in this collection of firings that's been going on for a team that desperately needs some moves. But Hextall, you know, it's just a philosophy thing. Like, okay, Holmgren wants to make some big sweeping changes. Obviously, they have some needs in net. I think they have a good core of young defensemen, but they've been a little underwhelming, haven't been playing up to expectations this season. So are they going to make some drastic thing there? I don't think there's any big move to be made on in net. I mean, who are you going to get? Who are the goalies well, out there right if, now? If one of the things you could throw at Hextall is he didn't do anything in the summer nope. to address but the crease. he set them up so well. I mean, I was looking back at some of his highlight trades, and there are some great ones. So you have the... Braden Shen trade at the draft to St. Louis in which he got two first round picks back. One 2018 is Jay O'Brien, who's a freshman at Providence right now. And the other is Morgan Frost. And that's the one right now that is on everybody's radar. Keep an eye out for him playing for Canada at the WJC later this month. He was second in OHL scoring last year. He's currently third, just one point off of the pace this year. So he's going to be on this team before long and and look at it at that point. Carter Hart's a guy who's developed nicely. He's struggling right now in the AHL, but he's going to be coming up too. Uh, another trade was just a minor one, but he got a third round pick for the last couple of months of Vinny LeCavalier's career and Luke Shen, who is just absolutely nothing. You were able to get something for those guys. The other big one, was he got Radko Gudis and a first-round pick for Braden Coburn. And that first-round pick turned into Travis Konechny, who right now is playing on your first line, and he's a speedster, fits in very well in the NHL right now, turning into a pretty productive guy. So between Konechny and Frost, we'll see what happens with O'Brien. Uh, I mean, I think those trades are going to pay off very handsomely down the line for the Philadelphia Flyers, and they've also kind of expanded their center depth in the draft underneath Hextall, Frost being one of those guys. Nolan Patrick, obviously the one that kind of fell into their laps. We'll see how he turns out. But, you know, from a long-term cautious perspective, Hextall did a pretty good job with these Flyers, and ultimately that's not what they're trying to get out of this team. They want to be big and bold. There is just a part of my brain that will never be able to accept the words calm and measured being attached to Ron Ron Hextall. Hextall, I'll always see him... (laughs) Fans, if you haven't seen Younger Generation, show just told us he was seven in uh, in 1997, and that's why he's just catching up on Friends now. If you were seven in 1997 and you've never seen Ron Hextall slash Kent Nielsen in the 1987 Stanley <laughs> Cup final, if you want to know the difference between hockey then and hockey now, watch that slash and then consider that the league did suspend him. Uh, but not until next year. Uh, yeah. we, we can't kick you out of a playoff game, even though you basically hacked a poor Swedish guy's leg off. This is Anderson, held off by Hextall. And Brad Marsh plays. Something must have, yeah, here's something. Is that's got to be, yeah. be a major penalty. Andy Van Helleman has to call a five-minute major penalty. Hextall reared up with both hands. And Nilsson will be lucky if his leg isn't broken. Tell you what. What do you say about that? We've said so many nice things about Ron Hextall in the playoffs. This is Bush League. He should be ejected from the game and maybe even suspended. That should be automatic. That's a cheap shot. Let's see it. 
Anyways, I just have to get that out about Ron Hextall. It's odd. Yeah. It, it is there's some kind of disconnect there. I'm just never going to be able to fully reconcile. I mean, here's the thing. I joked off the top about Philly being fun and and they were a good team still when when Holmgren was out there making bold moves. And he said in the conference, there's value to what Hextall did. There was value to to my approach. I don't really think you know, they're going to do anything other than go out there and hire um, a very competent person who just sort of shares their vision more. But if I'm a Philly fan, my worst, 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 worst nightmare is hearing about how they didn't have a fight for 20 games or yes. we need to get back to the spirit of what Philly is. Yeah. That's going to win you the cup in 2019, 2020. Not a chance. I'm not saying I think that's going to happen, but if I'm a Philly fan, that is my worst nightmare. Yeah, you don't want to become the Los Angeles Kings, who are, I mean, nobody's really close to those old days, but that's kind of what it is like, right? You're a big team, you're a slower team, and you pride yourself on on defense and tough hockey, and that's what that's kind of what the equivalent would be for the Philadelphia Flyers today, and that's obviously not a direction that you want to go. I, I'm looking at this, and I'm wondering, A, who is the guy who's going to come in here and want to play that game? Because obviously you look around the league at all the success stories, like teams build through the draft. They build gradually up. Maybe you, maybe you get a first overall pick, and that accelerates you a little bit more, but you need to kind of build your organizations for long-term success over a long period of time. There's not a lot of teams out there anymore that are making all the big blockbuster moves that Holmgren was making, all those kinds of moves, and then getting a lot of long-term success out of it. And so now I'm looking at this Flyers team as well and thinking, if they do get this guy who comes in and wants to make all these big trades, who are the players who are the, who are going to get traded? Like, is that the time when no uh, Nolan Patrick becomes hey, somebody who can be You just took the moved? name out of my mouth. Yeah, I mean, he's not, like, what, what they know, talked let me, about. Let me just jump yeah. in. There's an interesting situation in the NBA right now where people are saying, what could the 76ers get for 2017 first overall pick Markel Fultz? Because without getting into it, if you're not paying attention, the guy is just living inside his own head and can't shoot the ball. And it's just been this disaster. And there's this sense of like, if you don't trade him now, he's going to have no value. I'm not saying it's the same thing with Nolan Patrick, but I'm saying he's a guy who was drafted in 2017, who there's a, you would perk ears up. If you said we would be willing to trade this guy yeah. right now. Oh, for sure. And and one thing that Holmgren talked about too, in that press conference was that, Hextall left them with some salary cap space, which is absolutely true. So you don't have to worry so much about trading a Patrick who's still on his ELC because you can do that and take on some salary and still be okay. Um, so you've you've left yourself with some wiggle room. There would be teams all over the place. Even though Nolan Patrick hasn't lived up to his number two overall draft ranking, he's been leapfrogged by Elias Pettersson, so you can kind of look back on that pick with regret a little bit. Teams will be lining up to trade for... Uh, 20 year old center in this league with who, some size who, with some size who at one point was far and away the number one pick in his draft he's not going to end up that way in his career can't see that happening but you could totally see him ending up as a number two center worst case he's going to be a number three he still shows flashes at times but it's that size that's going to make him stick in the nhl and just that base level skill he's going to at least be a Pretty productive third-line center relative to the rest of the league in his career. Teams are going to want that, the cap certainty that comes with it. Like you, You're not going to project Nolan Patrick among all these other RFAs right now who are going, is this guy going to get $8 million? Is this guy going to get $9 million? Like You're not going to project right now Nolan Patrick getting any kind of contract like that. So his his controllability under the cap for the long-term future is is so good for any team that's coming after him. And so I'm looking at him. I'm looking at 
Wayne Simmons is a UFA, maybe a little bit more. Do they do anything with that defense? I can't imagine that they would trade Provorov or Gosses Bear. But if Holmgren is calling the shots now, it's like anything is on the table, right? They traded Jeff Carter and they traded Mike Richards after signing those guys to long-term contracts. That means nothing. Yeah. It's the turnaround. It's one of those things that's lost to history now, but the turnaround on those guys from being the guys, the core two up front to Gonzo, Richards was the captain, Gonzo. That was a jarring, jarring uh, day. (laughs) Again, I go back to maybe Philly is going to be more fun. (laughs) You know what this also makes me think of is, We understand that players have different strengths and we sometimes forget. So do coaches and GMs and some guys are builders. That's, you know, that's their strength is gathering the, the, the draft picks. I mean, obviously it's all about um, mandate and what, you know, what you're being asked to do or not asked to do. Mm -hmm. Like most general managers would rather be able to take the long-term approach, but some of them really, 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 believe in that and their skill is you know getting together a sturdy foundation and then you have guys who are finishers like I think about Brian Burke who you know definitely had at points in his career reputation as being a fantastic GM Burke was a finisher he came to Anaheim and said okay boom get me in the room with Scott Niedermeyer I'm going to trade for his brother before Mm -hmm. to make it that much more appealing to come sign with us oh one year later Chris Pronger wants to leave Edmonton Get me in that room. Get his agent on the phone. I make this happen. Our own Dave Dombrowski of the Boston Red Sox. Mm -hmm. Another guy who just, you know, I mean, he kind of built a franchise in in Florida once upon a time. But he's a guy who you bring in and say, all right, we've already got a foundation. Time to finish this thing. And Mm -hmm. you kind of wonder if Philly might bring in someone. I mean, look, Philly's, whatever, second last in the East. I'm not saying they're on the verge of the cup. But given what we've talked about, there's pieces there. You kind of wonder if you need someone whose main attributes are clear thinking, but, you know, bold, decisive, assertive, figure out, boom, we need this. And the next time something like that comes anywhere close to the market, even if we got to overpay a little, we're getting it. Yeah, it's this, it's how they sit right now. Like you said, at the bottom, not a lot of prospects right now to, to move up. But that could change if you make a big trade. To your point again about reverting back to the Flyers of old, I would be terrified as a Flyers fan for them trading some of these high-end prospects we've talked about that Hextel has acquired. If they acquired. trade Provorov, I'm jumping off. I don't know what bridges they have in guys, Philly. But. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not even talking about guys in the NHL, but the guys, guys like in Frost. The, system, yeah, yeah. The, the guys who they have drafted and who look really good, trading those guys for immediate help right now because, sure, you could, you could trade one or two of those guys and get a pretty good defenseman back, and that's going to help your situation back there. I don't think you need forwards right now. You're playing JVR on your third line, for crying out loud. Like There's a lot of depth up there right now, unless you move one of those guys. But what it comes down to for me is is they don't have any goaltending. So whatever moves you make to improve your your blue line or your forwards, whatever, you're still looking at Brian Elliott. You're still looking at Michael Neuverth, Calvin Picker, they just waved, Anthony Stolarz. Like, there's no goalie there who's going to be able to carry you through the Eastern Conference players, no matter what happens. So it's just... Are they going to get more aggressive? It sure sounds like it. Do they have the pieces, the the futures, the guys on the roster that they could move to do some big, bold things? Absolutely. But is the time right now right to do that with their goaltending situation? I think it's going to be a huge mistake. Well, I think we can throw a giant stay tuned banner over this uh, situation because it is certainly going to be interesting. Sounds like they want to hire someone sooner rather than later. So uh, 
We may have some answers in the somewhat immediate future. All right, coming up on the other side of the break, we are going to talk about the Edmonton Oilers guided by a new coach in Ken Hitchcock. The guy just can't stay away from the bench. Ken Hitchcock and the sort of new look Edmonton Oilers on the other side of the break on Tape to Tape. The Tape to Tape podcast is brought to you by the GMC Terrain with cargo space that'll fit the entire family's hockey bags and available all-wheel drive to keep them safe on icy roads. The GMC Terrain is the compact SUV thoughtfully designed with you in mind. GMC Terrain, we are professional grade. Welcome back to Tape to Tape. Big changes around the league this November. Four new coaches brought in, in addition to the most recent firing we just spoke of, of Ron Hextall as GM in Philadelphia. Who knows? Maybe Dave Hextall might be the next coach to go. We will see. But one of those coaching changes, of course, occurred in Edmonton. Todd McClellan out. Ken Hitchcock has been the Oilers bench boss for about a week not really on anyone's radar, Rory, but we probably also shouldn't be completely shocked. He's an Edmonton guy, Sherwood Park, and uh, the man loves the coach. Don't ever believe it yeah. when he says he's retired. No. Um, one of the best coaches of all time. And the key for Edmonton is that he gets immediate returns as soon as he arrives somewhere. He's able to turn something around, make adjustments, crack down on the on the defense for sure. And we've seen that. Uh, I think it's three of the games the Oilers have played under him so far. Both teams involved got less than 30 shots, which is strange in today's NHL when teams are regularly getting more than 30 shots in a game. Um, and you're seeing Jesse Pogliarvi come back up there. It's it's just Edmonton needs to make waves this season. And the only thing I wonder is if, okay, Ken Hitchcock comes down here, yes, your defense improves. Yes, maybe you're getting some more out of Jesse Pogliarvi, but the wins aren't coming enough and you're not really getting into a playoff spot. Maybe you're hanging around. Maybe that's not good enough. I don't think that should be good enough. What's next? Yeah. You know, I imagine it's a really good question. I imagine there'd be a trade, right? Okay. Is Peter Torelli going to make that trade then you clearly don't have very much faith in him. He's, he's gone this summer. I have to imagine if they make, if they miss the playoffs. So, what happens a month from now if the Edmonton Oilers are still sitting there? They're what tenth or eleventh in the Western Conference, a couple points out. What do you do? What's the move? Yeah, you're right because we see teams in that situation where you think, okay, well we smell the end coming for the GM, but there's still two months left in the season. You're really gonna let this guy make another franchise-altering, yep. super impactful trade? And Doesn't not only like that, it. but there's another team out there looking for a GM right now, Philadelphia. So you're going to let them make the first GM hire. They're going to get their first choice, and you're sitting back there as Edmonton allowing this to happen, knowing in the back of your head that you're going to make a change too. And if that needs to happen before your next trade, I, I don't I don't know why they wouldn't kind of jump the gun there and, and get in on this right now. I, I don't know. Obviously, there's not very much of a long-term plan there given their coach hiring. And whoever the next GM is is going to be also the guy who's going to make the next coach hiring. I don't think Ken Hitchcock And Joel Quenville will be coaching year. in Philly by then. So yeah, yeah, I mean, you can't lure him with I don't, David. I can't imagine that Quenville was going to end up in Edmonton anyways. So Even with McDavid, do you think? I just feel like that, that is would such be a trump pull. card. That yeah. would be the pull, but there's so many issues with that roster beyond McDavid. Yeah, you have McDavid, but there's a ton of holes beyond that, and it's it's really hard to look at them right now, given what's happened over the last year and a half, and look at them as a 
Stanley Cup contenders still. Two years yeah. ago when they were in the playoffs, sure, they looked like they were trending in that direction, but everything's kind of fallen apart. You've got some massive problems led by Milan Lucic and that huge contract, terrible contract given out to him by, by Peter Chiarelli. And now you look at net, and you thought at that time, too, that you had a great number one goalie on the rise in Cam Talbot, and now you look at the situation, and it's okay, he's a UFA at the end of this season, and Miko Koskinen is taking over. Even if the Oilers get to the playoffs, what are the odds that Koskinen is their starter in game one? And, you know, he kind of came out of nowhere. He's played in the NHL before very, very briefly. I think it was for the Islanders. Um, but he spent his whole career in the KHL. Do you trust him moving forward? Like, okay, if he plays well enough and gets you there, are you trusting this guy in his 30s who's come over from the KHL to invest a new contract in him? Well, I guess he signed for one more year. But going forward, he's going to be your number one goalie. Uh, to me, you still need to find another guy. So there's just all these question marks around this roster. It's hard to imagine Quenville landing there with all the other great options that he's going to have now, led by Philadelphia. Um, it's just kind of a mess right there in, in Edmonton. It feels kind of aimless to me. The interesting case to me will be, or, or what I think will be highly symbolic if it goes well or poorly, I suppose, is Jesse Pugliarvi. Like if Ken Hitchcock can get this guy going the fourth overall pick uh, in the 2016 draft. If all of a sudden he turns into even 80% of what they thought they were getting, then you start to feel like, all right, things are starting to fall into place a little bit. That's going to help with support. Maybe Hitch really can work some magic here. Yeah. Um, but if not, then it's more of the same. Yeah, like, so Hitchcock... He's going to be challenging on these guys, as we know, and that can sometimes wear on rookie rookies, especially, especially high end guys like that. So look at the guys kind of who went around Pliari in that draft. There was a lot of shock when Pierre-Luc Dubois went in front of him. Right. And now you look at it and he's part of one of the quietly good lines, better lines in the league in Columbus. Matthew Kachuk behind him is blowing up the season and looks in line for a, for a big-time contract. So now you look at Pugliarvi. He's playing on the second line under Ken Hitchcock right now. We're going to find out how much this guy really wants to be an NHL player because Hitchcock is not going to make it an easy ride for him to keep those minutes. He's going to push and push and push this guy. And although Hitchcock got a lot of greatness out of Vladimir Tarasenko in St. Louis... It's well documented that relationship was grinding there, especially towards the end. You could see it in that playoff matchup. Uh, Paul Yarvi already is kind of behind the eight ball where he is in his career compared to his peers. So he should be able to, he's going to get the opportunity and he's definitely going to get pushed by, by Ken, Ken Hitchcock. The question is, is he going to accept that? Is he going to buy into it all? Is he going to kind of rise to these challenges or is he going to wilt under what Ken Hitchcock throws at him? And if he wilts, that's just another problem area for them. It's an Oilers. One team that came into this season with high expectations only a year after it even came into existence, period, Vegas Golden Knights. And of course, you know, a bit of a flat start for Vegas. Paul Stastny, big free agent signing, hurt. Yeah. Still not in the lineup, won't be for some time. Big offseason acquisition. Max Pacioretty um, missed a couple games, didn't get off to a flying start. And, of course, Nate Schmidt suspended uh, for um, PED. Almost said PDO. Analytics really are <laughs> creeping in everywhere in this game. Vegas is getting, to get, getting it together 
And so are, should we say, the uh, the defending Stanley Cup champs, the team that beat Vegas. Uh, Washington has ripped off, I think, five in a row. But four in a row for Vegas. Marc-Andre Fleury, past five games, won them all, 9-4-2, save percentage. Um, things definitely, you know, seem like they're getting on course for Vegas here. Just as they did last year at this time when, of course, Vegas had the hot start, but then really kicked it to another level in, in December where they went 11-1-1. and uh, Golden Knights starting to roll. Yeah, it, we were saying this. It was going to come around for this team because you look at their shot differentials. They're uh, fourth in the league in shots for one of the best defensive teams and one of the best uh, differentials in the league. And it was just... Okay, the average is going to start going around. It's kind of ironic, kind of funny that last year it was it was almost the opposite, not from a team perspective, but from individual players' perspective. Like William Carlson wasn't going to keep doing what right. he was doing. There were a couple of examples of that, the backup goalies that they had to throw in there when Marc-Andre Fleury was hurt. Everything was working perfectly for Vegas last year. So to start this year playing good hockey, getting good shots, and then the goals just weren't coming – now, now the sell was the opposite. Okay, it's going to start turning around for them, and certainly it has now in the last week and a half. They've had three games where they've scored at least six goals. Pacioretty now is on a six-game point streak, nine points in that stretch, starting to come around for him, and he doesn't even have Paul Stasny back yet. When he does, that's going to start coming around a little bit more. Marc-Andre Fleury is playing better now. He got off to a little bit of an iffy start. And I think a factor was that Vegas didn't have a ton of home games to start the season last year. It was a little bit more home friendly in that regard. And, you know, we talk all the time about the Vegas flu um, teams go in there and they just seem to have a hard time playing in Vegas for whatever reason. And so as they get more home games on their schedule, I think that it's going to get a little easier. Obviously those wins are going to start coming, but I mean, you look at the underlying numbers, you consider the injuries and the, <laughs> the division that they're in, nobody's taking charge of. I love Calgary, but Vegas seems to be coming on. It's going to be a shock to me if it's not at this point. Calgary, Vegas, uh, and San Jose as those top three teams in the Pacific Division. Edmonton's kind of that wild card in there. Maybe Arizona, but they're really not doing what I thought they might do there. Um, but Vegas just seems to me like a team that it wouldn't be a shock to see them just go on an absolute tear and actually win this division by the end of it. I want to ask you two more Pacific questions in this block the LA Kings, the team Vegas swept out of the playoffs. They really haven't recovered and got back on their feet since. Ilya Kovalchuk, I mean, uh, people didn't want to go crazy, but I think most people thought this was a guy who could come back to the NHL and and still be a contributor. LA was willing to go to the three years on a contract. I mean, this guy played 9.05 in his most recent game against Vancouver. We're recording this on a Wednesday here, 6.20. Yeah. 6.20 against the Oilers. Something's got to give here. Is it? Do you think there'd be a taker for Ilya Kovalchuk if the last place king said, hey, man, he's on the block? Yeah. I mean, I was trying to come up with a fake trade to do a fake trade segment on Ilya Kovalchuk, and I thought, I can't do that because no one's going to give up anything valuable to get him. Maybe if LA keeps a good chunk of that uh, salary back, that that you could get more. Like if they keep fifty percent of his salary and you get him for three million and change, then maybe you can give up something of value to get Ilya Kovalchuk for three years. But it, it's such a risk. Like he hasn't scored a goal since November sixth. His ice time clearly has been deteriorating. Like you just said, he started this month 
playing 20 minutes and 25 seconds at home against the Philadelphia Flyers. They're now using him on the fourth line. He was on the third line before that. Like, he does not have a home there in Los Angeles. The way he's been talking, he doesn't just seem at all interested in sticking around there. And it's kind of like, who? Well, Boston has talked about needing some help up front. They could definitely use some depth. So maybe... They would be a team that would be interested in Ilya Kovalchuk. Like, they always seem to be connected to somebody out there. They're always looking for a little bit of help. They're extremely banged up, mostly on the back end, but they are missing Patrice Bergeron up front. Um, they might be a team that, you know, they look at what's going on around them. Toronto's doing really well. Tampa's doing really well. Buffalo's coming on strong. Montreal's kind of making themselves a factor in that division. And Boston not wanting to fall off. Maybe they look at Ilya Kovalchuk and think that he can help their power play, help their scoring, you know, as a as a secondary option there. And that might be a team that goes after him. But on the surface, if you're just getting him and there's no salary retention whatsoever, it, what, fourth, fifth round pick? Yeah. Like, you're not giving up anything for Kovalchuk. What did you think of the Perlini-Strom for Nick Schmoltz deal? You mentioned right off the hop. I think, I mean, I think we both... Kind of looked at Arizona and thought, oh, there might be something there. And I just feel like that team, after getting crushed in back-to-back weekend games at home, really got to a breaking point fast. I know John Chike is not someone who's going to do something, mm-hmm. um, you know, irrational based on uh, two nights' results. But clearly it was trending the wrong way for Strom for a while, and they pulled the trigger and, and got a guy who... Sounds like you couldn't get you couldn't pry out of Chicago six months ago. Yeah, and from what I gather on the broadcast, they were talking about that the Flyer or the Hawks didn't like where the contract negotiations right. were going with Schmaltz, and you can understand that they have a lot of uh, commitments already, and they're already in a bit of cap uh, trouble. Um, I think it's interesting. I, I love it from Arizona's side. I mean, it's a bit risky because Strom could go into Chicago. He played junior hockey with Alex DeBrincat. Like he could find some level of familiarity and, and comfort there um and start to come out which it hasn't happened yet in arizona but in schmaltz like you get a guy who was projecting to be a really solid number two center there in chicago and that's an area that arizona has really focused on upgrading the alex galchenyuk trade was a big one to put them in a direction there now you get uh schmaltz in you know everybody's always looking for centers so the arizona coyotes knowing that they're not scoring enough goals you always need more depth on, uh, down the middle there they trade a prospect who has some potential potential but it really wasn't working out there right now and you get this guy you you are a team that's not in cap trouble at all so it's not really too much of a concern what he's going to make on his next contract it's not going to be massive money and you get an area of need you get an area that everybody needs i think it's a nice little trade for arizona on his own schmaltz isn't going to kickstart this team into some elite level cup contender or anything like that but maybe he can add enough scoring to help them out uh, at least a little bit well it is a, a fun trade because the guys are so young. They were all drafted in the first round. So uh, everyone definitely putting a little something in the middle in that deal. We'll see who is smiling in a couple of years. All right. Speaking of deals, we are going to talk about RFA contracts. Man, there are some big ones on the horizon. Some prime time players who are due new deals We're going to theorize about some numbers that we're never going to see in our lifetime, but these kids will. That's in the final block of the Tape to Tape podcast. Looking to stream over 500 NHL games blackout free? Sportsnet Now is the product for you. Available to anyone over the internet, Sportsnet Now gives you 24-7 access to Sportsnet's channels, including content not available on TV. 
you can stream on the go or at home on your big screen from the most popular devices, including smartphones and tablets, Apple TV, Xbox, PlayStation, and Chromecast. Sign up for as long as you want and cancel whenever you'd like. You can also stream the NBA, MLB, Premier League, all of your favorite Sportsnet original programming, and more. Visit snnow.ca for more details. The NHL did not see this coming with Group 2s. Yeah. They did not see this. It's, we got leverage. Either you sit or we, you, you do our deal. Welcome back to Tape to Tape. Lots of talk, of course, in the city we live in here about William Nylander and his RFA contract status. We saw how difficult, you know, an example of the, the grinding negotiations. Well, there's more grinding on the horizon here, Rory, because we've got some serious dudes who are going to be RFAs coming out of their ELC mm-hmm. in the summer of 2019. Yeah, so this is where the William Nylander stuff gets really interesting for me because he is negotiating not only against like the guys on his own team that are going to be RFAs next year. Mitch Marner is going to get paid. Austin Matthews is going to get paid. And William Nylander doesn't want to look back on whatever deal he signs and say, well, I should have got what these guys got, or, or Marner at least. Um, but it's not only those two. It's Think about some of these other wingers that are coming out. Miko Rantanen, Patrick Laine, Kyle Connor. Brock Besser, Matthew Kachuk. I mean, these are high, high end scores, all becoming line drivers kind of on their own. And they're all going to get paid massive money. And you look at right now who the really the bar setters are in terms of guys getting paid off their entry level contracts. It's on one side, you got David Pasternak making $6.66 million. And on the other, you got uh, Johnny Gaudreau making $6.75 million signed under smaller cap. So you look at Gaudreau, and when he signed, that contract was just shy of 10% of what the salary cap was at the time. Um, so if you impose that on some of these guys, that is just shy, if my math is correct. If you're projecting in an $81, $82 million salary cap for next season, that's somewhere around $8 million, right? Just shy, kind of around $8 million if you're getting paid exactly what Gaudreau did on 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 his deal against his cap. So who's worth that? Is William Nylander worth that kind of money? We're talking about, some people are talking about Mitch Marner getting paid $10 million on his next deal. Okay. If Mitch Marner gets paid $10 million, what do you pay Patrick Laine? What do you pay the NHL's leading scorer right now? Miko Rantanen, who granted is playing with some great players on his line, but so is Mitch Marner. You know, Patrick Laine doesn't exactly have that. I mean, Brian Little is his center. It's not Nathan McKinnon is not John Tavares. Patrick Laine is very much relied on to be the goal scorer on that line. And on his line, too, is Kyle Connor, who's kind of flying under the radar. Paul Maurice has talked about him being a line driver in his own self, and he's got speed, and he can work the corners really well. He's arguably got a better all-around game than Patrick Laine gets, but no one's thinking that Kyle Connor is going to get paid more than Patrick Laine. But will he get paid more than Mark Scheifele, who's making $6.125 million? I mean, that's what's so interesting about this class is it's going to change the landscape completely. And it all starts right now with William Nylander, who has to negotiate a whole year ahead of these other guys. So it's fascinating. Like, how is all this going to end up? Who is going to sign bridge contracts? Like, is Brock Besser a candidate to get a bridge contract because he's injured? Yeah, interesting case there, yeah. And and that kind of changes the factor, too. Are, Are any of these guys... 
um, beyond Nylander, like whoever is going to be the first guy, if it's Marner, if it's Line, whoever, is the first guy going to sign uh, for less than he's worth to fit into the cap structure? Because Winnipeg and Toronto are both feeling a lot of cap pressures right now. Do any of these guys sign and say, I'm going to take a little bit less because I want to win here? And then how does that change the market for the rest of the guys who say, well, I don't want to sign for less. I want to make my big bucks right now. It's just going to be so, so interesting to see who signs first, how the market plays out, and what we're looking at next, you know, spring when all of these guys have signed, most of them have signed. Maybe we have a Nylander type situation that bleeds into next season for one of these guys. Wouldn't you love to just hear the conversations between the teammates sometimes just be like, you know what? I'll take 11. Yeah. Why don't you take, uh, yeah. would you be cool with eight? We want to keep this together, right? Yeah. Eight, five. All right. I'll, I'll do nine, seven. You do eight, five. Yeah. The other is, and it's not a winger. It's it's more on the high end is with Austin Matthews in Toronto. He's a center. He's a high-end guy. So you consider what Connor McDavid got. He's, his AAV is $12.5 million. At the time, that counted for 16.67% against the cap. If you're considering the cap rises to $82 million next year, for Austin Matthews to get the same percentage against the cap that Connor McDavid got, his cap hit would be $13.7 million. So even if you accept that he should get less against the cap than when McDavid got, you're still talking about the same AAV. Yeah. So don't be shocked to see if that happens. But how outrageous would that be if you're looking next season and Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews are both getting paid $12.5 million against the cap. What do you do if you're the Leafs and you're paying him 12 and a half and you got to pay Marner $10 million and you've got John Tavares making 11 whatever William Nylander signs for, I don't know how they, you know, Kyle Dubas, I know, said that he can and he will sign all these guys and keep them, but it's looking harder and harder that that's going to actually come to fruition. Yeah, it is definitely tough to make those astronomical uh, numbers add up. It's always been hard for us to wrap our brains around how much they make, and now it's just tough to to figure out how you get all those numbers underneath uh, the cap in the NHL. But, hey, this is why we have such uh, insane parity. So uh, who knows? Maybe this will lead to, you know, maybe there will be teams that are like, you know what? We just can't swing it or we just can't swing it unless we move this other guy. And, uh, you know, that trade talk uh, always generates uh, excitement around the league. So there is a, a bit of a different trickle down effect as well. All right. That's all the time we have for you on tape to tape this week. Make sure you're checking out this podcast on sportsnet.ca or subscribing in iTunes. Follow Rory on Twitter, at Rory Boylan, myself, at Dixon on Sports. And come back next time for more glass rattling hockey action on Tape to Tape. <laughs>